You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Locked On SEC Podcast. Great to have you guys along on today's show. We gear up for week four of the SEC with two games already postponed. We will break down the five matchups in the conference this Saturday. Also, we will catch up with the broadcaster Dawn Davenport. She has been on the sidelines for ESPN and SEC Network. We'll get her perspective on what it's been like in these weird times being on the sideline of these games with no fans in the stands in a lot of these stadiums. And also, we'll get her thoughts on some of the games this weekend. I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. We're here for you five days a week. You'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each and every day. All right, let's jump right into it. Only five games in the conference this weekend. Let's do our matchup breakdowns. Matchup breakdowns. We start with the early games on Saturday, 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern on ESPN. It's number five, Auburn at South Carolina. These teams last met in 2014 in Auburn with the Tigers winning 42-35. to These teams don't play very often, but Auburn leads the all-time series 10-1-1. Gamecocks running back Kevin Harris, one of my favorite backs in the SEC this season, run, runs really hard, had some long runs last week against Vandy, ran well against Florida. Auburn ranks 41st in the country at run defense, giving up over 144 ground yards per game. So if the Gamecocks can move the ball, that's how they're going to do it. Colin Hill has been serviceable at quarterback. Shai Smith's pretty good receiver, but I think they got to run the ball to beat Auburn. For Auburn... They should feel good about their run game now after Tank Bigsby broke out for 146 rushing yards last week against Arkansas. Sean Shivers is expected to be back this week, but Bigsby and DJ Williams, they need to carry the rock for Auburn. And let's be real, Auburn's got to get Bo Nix going. He has been very average this year, thrown for less than 200 yards each of the past two weeks. In that span, he's thrown for just one touchdown, was sacked six times. He did rush for a score last week, but we are not seeing progress from the reigning SEC Freshman of the Year. If Nick struggles and that O-line, which has not been good, struggles, I think South Carolina keeps this one close. Auburn is favored by three. A lot of folks call for the upset, but I think Auburn pulls this one out late, 27-20. to 20. And don't be surprised if another officiating mistake goes Auburn's way again. The other early game at 11 Central, 12 Eastern, it's Kentucky at number 18 Tennessee on SEC Network. The Wildcats coming off a dominant defensive effort, shutting out Mike Leach offensively for the first time ever, while Tennessee still looking their wounds from an abysmal second half against Georgia. Tennessee went from one of the better rushing teams a week ago, dropping down to 66th in the country rushing after Tennessee, or Georgia rather, held them to negative one net rush yards. I think Tennessee gets their ground game back going this week with Eric Gray and Ty Chandler. Kentucky has been good in stopping the run so far this year, but those numbers... A little skewed because Mississippi State didn't even try to run the ball against them last week. For Kentucky, I have some concerns for this offense still. They were stymied against Auburn. They moved the ball all over on the ground against Ole Miss. And they didn't really have to do much against State last week with all the turnovers they got. But my question is, can Terry Wilson make the throws when his team needs them most? Against my better judgment, I think Garantano bounces back this week. He made some good throws in the first half last week against Georgia before he completely fell apart. Tennessee survived a scare last year in Lexington, 17-13. If you remember, Kentucky couldn't punch it in on the goal line to win. Tennessee a six-point favorite. I just think they run the ball much better being at home in Knoxville. The Vols win 30-20. 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern. We get Ole Miss at Arkansas on the SEC Network. 
Matt Corral is on a roll. Over 1,000 yards passing already, nine touchdowns. Elijah Moore, unstoppable at receiver. Jerry Ely, Snoop Connor, they ran all over Bama a week ago. Ole Miss second in the country in total offense with Lane Kiffin. Arkansas should have won last week at Auburn after that Bo Nick spike, which we all remember. Last year, Ole Miss won this game in Oxford 31-17, but Arkansas allowing just 27 points per game this year. I just can't see Arkansas slowing down the Ole Miss offense, though. I think they put up a lot of points again, but Ole Miss's defense, one of the worst in the country. They rank dead last in the SEC in total defense. And Felipe Franks, give him a little credit. He has surprised me this season. He's been much better than I expected. Ole Miss is a two-point favorite. Sam Pittman is 3-0 against the spread this year. But I think the lane train keeps rolling down the tracks, and Ole Miss wins this one late in Fayetteville, 34-31. At 3 p.m. Central, 4 Eastern, number 11, Texas A&M is at Mississippi State on ESPN, taking the TV slot of Florida LSU. The Aggies are a five-point favorite. Aggies won by 19 last year in College Station. Kellen Mond is on a roll right now. Great performance against Florida last week. His running back Isaiah Spiller is on fire. Look, they lose receiver Caleb Chapman. That does hurt. But I think they're, the Aggies keep their offense rolling. Jalen Widemeyer is still hard to cover at tight end. The question is, can the Mike Leach offense wake up? They have been horrendous these past two weeks. We likely see more Will Rogers at quarterback over KJ Costello, possibly. The Bulldogs defense has not been all that bad. They did hold Kentucky to under 200 yards of total offense last week, despite all their offensive turnovers. The Aggies maybe not as sharp as they were a week ago. But I think they're good enough to win in Starkville. AM is a six and a half point favorite. Give me the Aggies 31 to 24 over Mississippi State. And lastly, the game of the week. Let's switch it up. Game of the week. Number three, Georgia at number two, Alabama. The game of the century again. We already know Nick Saban will not be on the sideline for this one. Quarantining at home with COVID. Kirby, he has been close before to beating Saban, but this may be his best defense he has ever had. On the flip side, this could be the best offense Alabama has ever had. It is strong on strong. Alabama, number one in the country in scoring offense. Georgia, number two in total defense. Najee Harris, over 200 rush yards last week. This week, Georgia with the number one run defense in the country. The question is, which do you believe more in? The game manager Stetson Bennett at quarterback for the Bulldogs, who has yet to make a mistake? Or the Bama defense that has playmakers everywhere, but they're giving up almost 500 yards of offense per game. I would tend to lean on the Bama defense riding the ship. But look, I have doubted Stetson Bennett every week, and all he does is keeps making game-winning plays, and that Georgia defense just keeps getting turnovers and stops. The Georgia defense alone has outscored their opponents in the second half this year. I think Mac Jones makes a mistake or two, throws a pick six, And Georgia and Kirby finally get over the hump and beat Alabama, partly because Saban isn't on the sidelines, and Georgia wins 34-31. All right, there you have it. Those are our matchup breakdowns. Coming up, we catch up with ESPN and SEC sideline reporter Don Davenport. Now, you guys know we're always telling you about the Built Bars. Well, now you have to try Built Go. We all have that daily wall. You know what I'm talking about. You're at the office mid-afternoon, and you just hit that wall. Lack of energy, lack of focus. You need something to help pick you back up. Built Go is the way to go. It's a healthy replacement for that yucky energy drink 
because the energy is not fake. It's lasting and natural. Think five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. It's like drinking one of those big energy drinks, but with a third of the caffeine and better results. Built Go combines energy gel with protein, and it goes to work fast. It is loaded with good stuff to kick you back into gear, and it tastes great. Three delicious flavors. My favorite is the chocolate mint. You have to check them out. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you will get 30% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED. Get 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Roll along here on Locked on SEC. Great to have you guys along and real excited to catch up with Dawn Davenport, sideline reporter for ESPN SEC Network. You see her every weekend on your TV screen calling one of the games, and she's calling a lot more SEC games as of late, and real excited to get her in here. Dawn, welcome in. Have you dried out from the game last week that you did? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hey, it is great to be on with you. Uh, no, that was not fun. It was, uh, it was definitely a wet one, which uh, let me say this though, as long as you're expecting it and you're prepared for it and you have like the eight layers and the rain boots and the rain jacket and all the plastic bags to cover up your equipment, electrical equipment, that makes it a little bit better. As long as you're expecting it, you know, at least you're prepared for it. It's <laughs> the, the deluges that you're not expecting that really kind of throw you in a spin well i i, I want to get your perspective on this because i just think it's so intriguing i know you've been doing the sideline reporting for a while and it's got to be so weird in this season where espn as you see network whatever network you're on a lot of these times your broadcasters are doing the game from home you're the only person there so it's it's almost incumbent on you to really set the scene and set the tone for what you're seeing because some of these guys are just sitting in their home offices Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's how it's been for my crew the last two weeks. Now, the first, my first three games, I actually had crew on site with me, but um, the last two weeks, like jumping back into the SEC, my, my play-by-play guy, my analyst, they're sitting in their living rooms at home (laughs) calling the game. Um, So they don't get the views of everything that they normally get to see, which, you know, I, I, I say that that makes the sideline reporter who is actually there makes our job even more important. Our job anyway is eyes and ears down there uh, to give people at home what they can't see, what they can't hear, um, to give them that perspective. Well, now even more important when, you know, you're play by play and your analysts are, are sitting at home so they don't get the full view of what's going on. So it's it's definitely different. It's definitely been challenging. Um, I will say this. I can certainly hear a little bit better because we don't have fans in stadiums, you know, so I can hear everything down there. Whereas, you know, normally I'm, I'm kind of part reading lips and part listening to, to adjustments that are being made and things down there. I, I can hear everything at this point, but it's, it's interesting. It's been challenging, but it's also, um, it's also been gratifying to, to have these games, to be able to be in the middle of it, to feel the passion and escape from what we're dealing with in society and our world right now and to to actually be a part of college football it's it's been nice that's for sure now you're used to getting into the face of the coach or the player getting that interview how weird has it been to have to stand at a distance and ask questions basically shouting at them 
Oh, how awful is that, huh? I mean, I, I will say this. My employer, ESPN, has done a phenomenal job of figuring it out. So at this point, we have a speaker that's set up right by coach. So they can hear whatever I'm saying into my mic through that speaker. So, but, but you still feel awkward. I mean, you don't have the, you know, there's the, the eye contact, the relationships that you have built over the years to be able to have a conversation with a coach right then and there and look them in the eye. It's kind of hard because you've got a mask on and you're far away and it's natural for you to start yelling because you think they can't hear you, even though they have a speaker right next to them. So it's just been, it's been crazy. Crazy, and I think it's awkward, but at least we're figuring out, just like everybody is right now, we're figuring out a way to make it work and a way to still hear from these coaches at that time. I will say this, though. I worked the Georgia Southern-Louisiana game of last month, a couple weeks ago. That came down to a game-winning field goal as time expired for Louisiana to stay unbeaten, I was basically running around like a mad woman trying to get the game, the, the field goal kicker for Louisiana <laughs> to come to the end zone to stand in front of that stand mic and, and do an interview with me, um, you know, on, on his game winning kick. It's just tough because you're not running around with your microphone to be right. able to just immediately <laughs> grab someone. And, you know, I'm trying to stay 10 feet away and right. yelling through my mask to get him to come over there. So it's definitely not the easiest. There are some challenges, but like I said, I'm just glad that we're in the position that we are. And, and we, you know, even though we, we have seen our first cancellations in the SEC this year, at least yeah. we are where we are in college football. Happy to be talking with Don Davenport, of course, uh, silent reporter, ESPN, SEC Network. You see her all over the place. Let's talk a little football because you'll be on the sidelines for this one this weekend in Starkville. A really big game for Mississippi State in that they had the highest of highs week one beating LSU. Everybody's patting them on the back. And then the last two weeks, the offense has stumbled. The air raid has been grounded by Mike Leach. On the flip side, A&M gets probably the biggest win of the Jimbo Fisher error since he's been there with Kellen Mond in beating Florida last week. What are we expecting in this one on a Saturday afternoon in Starkville? Well, it should be interesting. I think that win, just talking to some of the Texas A&M players, uh, I think that was huge for them from a confidence standpoint, that they needed that from a momentum standpoint uh, to kind of quiet the noise of they just haven't won the big one. You know, they can't they can't make that happen. I, th- I think for on all those levels, that was huge for this Texas A&M team. Their focus this week has been don't let that carry over don't let that win uh and the high of that win hurt them against this mississippi state team um so i'm excited to see what they put on the field from that standpoint now for mississippi state you know it's interesting because you you hear the national narrative of oh okay you know there you go lsu played man and, and now all these defenses have figured out how to stop mike leach and that offense like he's been figured out he's not going to have success anymore it's that okay if, if that you know drop eight whatever you, you've got him you're done you're not going to see a mike leach offense succeed anymore okay if that was the case he wouldn't still be around, you know? I mean, his his offense and his style would not have survived, you know? It's not that I, – I, listen, I get it. I'm an SEC homer, but it's not that the SEC defenses are, are you know, just a different level um, to the point where, okay, Mike Leach has been figured out. He's done. He's dead on arrival. No. Um, you have to remember that this is a Mike Leach system that – 
is key for him to have playmakers on the outside, which he hasn't had anybody step up there. And it's key that his quarterback is able to see in the field, is able to have his eyes in the right place, and is able to know exactly what they want to do offensively and who the weapons that they're going to use to be able to do it are. This pandemic, this quarantine, this lack of practice time, all of this with Mike Leach, this this Mike Leach has not been able to weed out kind of the players that, and he talked about it this week, he talked about players being on the fence on him and, and the program that they still have a couple of those. Well, guess what? Because of COVID and no spring, he wasn't able to weed those players out. So I think you put all of that together I think he really likes his freshman quarterback in Will Rogers. I think he's protecting him, honestly, a little bit um, this season to kind of let him ease into this offense, make sure that he doesn't lose confidence, make sure that he's the guy of the future. I think we might see maybe kind of a shift to him playing some of those younger players that are going to be there in the future and going to be kind of the bread and butter for his offense and what he wants to do as he moves forward. So I think we'll see that a little bit. But uh, you cannot overstate the fact that a new head coach coming in with a completely different offense, um, you know, with no spring to, to weed out those that are on the fence for him. By the way, just to give you a number, I think he let go or, or I think – Either they left the team or transferred or were kicked off 18 players in his first year at Washington State. (laughs) So there's your whole kind of cleaning the the slate when it comes to a program and building his culture and guys that buy in. He hasn't been able to do that to this point. So like I said, you can't overstate the fact that no spring, no time with these guys really, really hurt him and his offense in, in that execution. And I don't think he's surprised at what's happened, honestly, the last two weeks. I think um, LSU was just what it was, and, and everybody ran with it and jumped on it. And, and really, that might have been the worst thing to happen for Mike Leach and Mississippi State was for them to win in, in that you know manner. More with Don Davenport right after this. Continuing our conversation with Don Davenport, co-host Three Hour Lunch on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville, and of course, sideline reporter ESPN SEC Network, doing games every week, and specifically be doing a handful of SEC games. I know you did Missouri-Tennessee a couple weeks ago. Tennessee, obviously, great first half against Georgia last week, not so much in the second half. This week, they get a feisty Kentucky team that won with defense against Mississippi State a week ago. What do you make of this Tennessee team so far? It's funny because working that Tennessee-Missouri game, you know, there was a lot of people, uh, there was so much talk about their offensive line, right? And and I had said that, we talked about it a lot during the game because that was Cade May's first start for them. Um, just the difference and really the evolution of that Tennessee offensive line over the last couple of years, because we had talked to Jarrett Garantano, who, you know, I, I said, hey, I remember working that Auburn-Tennessee game where they upset Auburn, what was that, two years ago, I think, and right. I remember working that game and thinking, JG's not going to walk out of here alive. Like, he, I just, I seriously did not think the kid 
would be able to survive that Auburn defensive line with the protection and a makeshift offensive line that they were playing with that year. You know, Jeremy Pruitt had said, oh, I only had one guy over 300 pounds on that offensive line when I first got here. Now look at every single one of them, 310, you know, uh, Darnell Wright at 330. You've got Trey Smith at 330 and Kennedy at, at 305, you know. So, um, which, by the way, he was not lying. He was right. I actually went back and fact-checked him. There was only one guy when he took over. <laughs> wow. <laughs> over 300 pounds on that line. But so much talk about um, – the evolution of that offensive line. And JG had said, my family was probably like the most excited about the evolution of that line because they, you know, saw him take hit after hit after hit. Now some of that on him over the years. Um, and, and a lot of people said, Oh, okay, well that Missouri defensive line isn't very good. And I understand that, but they, they are at least an experienced defensive line. They're a lot smaller, but they're an experienced defensive line. So I thought that Tennessee was in a place to where that would hold up and that they they not that Tennessee is back right but they were back enough at least to be able to hold up uh, against an extremely good Georgia defense I think maybe I underestimated how good this Georgia defense is (laughs) and that might have been part of it but my take on Tennessee right now is that in in I think this is the best way to put it they're they're rubbing their helmets right there on the the bottom of the top tier, if that makes sense. (laughs) They're not back, you know, they're not back, but they're at least to a point where they're consistent and they can win a big game, but they're still also at a point where they could lose a game that they're not supposed to. That's where I am on Tennessee um, right now. Now, Kentucky, who knows? They they are comfortable in close and ugly games. And if you're Tennessee, you better not let it get to that point because if you do, you're going to be in big trouble because that's where they thrive and that's where they feel good. Um, where they feel good playing is, is in the ugly game. That's where they want to get you. That being said, by the way, um, you know, somebody had – told me, well, Kentucky, you know, they, they struggled to score 24 on a bad Mississippi State defense. That Mississippi State defense is better than people give them credit for. They're yeah. the only defense in the SEC right now that has taken a step forward year over year. The numbers and the stats say that. So um, I think they're better than maybe people give them credit for. That being said, Tennessee should handle Kentucky, and they have a history of handling Kentucky, um, but they better not let it get let it stay close and let it get ugly because that's when that's when the Wildcats thrive and survive. With all the postponements, Don, we only have three other games in the SEC, so I just want to get a real quick thought from you. Auburn at South Carolina. Look, Kevin Harris, I love this kid. This is one of my favorite players in, in the SEC this year, and he ran wild last week against Vanderbilt. What did you see in person from him? Yeah, he's really, really impressive. Um, I, I think he, he understands who he is. He's got that straight-line speed. Um, I, I really liked what he was able to do. I think we probably need to step back and, and understand what he was able to do that against. Uh, that was also against a team that had 56 scholarship players available, and that's it. The limit, like you have to have 53 to be able to play a game. So we, you, you also need to understand, at least from that standpoint, uh, what he, he did you know, what he was able to do and who he was able to do it against. But um, I think that was a huge win for South Carolina because it was it was funny to me chatting with, with Coach Muschamp prior to that Vanderbilt game. He talked about 
his team needing confidence that they they were lacking that and it's you know you you talk about it you think oh these are SEC football players they're extremely confident in their game and what they do like that's ridiculous give me a break but I get it he has a lot of young guys that are stepping in you know Kevin Harris perfect example is a sophomore so prior not prior to the Vanderbilt game but the week before Will Muschamp had put together like videos and clips of all of his his young guys their high school highlights. Like highlight reels from their high school days just to be like, hey, you guys can do this. Look how good you are. You know, your (laughs) skill set should translate in this league. This is what you can do now. Just turn around and go out and do it. So regardless of who they were playing and what was on that roster uh, for Vanderbilt, I think from a confidence standpoint, South Carolina is in a much better place than maybe they were prior to that game when Will Muschamp is trying to to get his guys jacked up and, and believe that they can make plays and do things. Um, now for Auburn, it, I think this is a turning point for Auburn, right? Do you, you got away with one, by the way, for those that don't know, I am an Auburn alum, blah. Um, but, uh, but you know, is, this is a turning point for this Auburn football team. They've got Ole Miss next week. You know, do they go out, handle business, recover from, what has been, you know, I think a, a rough two weeks. I mean, do you do you answer the bell? Do you come out and beat a South Carolina team that is not deep defensively? Um, are you able to do things offensively that everybody expected you to do coming in? Uh, can you protect your quarterback? Can you run the ball? Like, this is your turning point on your season. Does it all go downhill now? Or do you come out and win in a dominating fashion like you should? <laughs> It's a great point. Uh, one of the other games, I got to get your thought on this because I need a female perspective because this is what my wife told me, and I think she's nuts. She, my wife thinks that Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, that Kiffin's wife intentionally put some pounds on him so that he wouldn't be this heartthrob in Oxford, Mississippi. I think she's nuts, but Lane has put on a couple pounds since he's been in Oxford. <laughs> Have you been to Oxford? Have you visited Oxford? Yes, all? yes. Beautiful okay. place. Wouldn't you put on some pounds eating at City Grocery <laughs> and all of these phenomenal restaurants that they have in Oxford? Because I would. Fried pickles, I mean, I I would eat those every single day from City Grocery. Like, I would put on some pounds, too. And, and let's be honest, quarantine has gotten all of us, right? Yes. I, I got a few pounds I need to shed after, uh, after quarantine and having a baby. So I get it. I, I totally feel Lane Kiffin's plight here. <laughs> yeah, I just—he's a little bit of a heartthrob, but yeah, he puts on some pounds. Maybe the he's ladies, maybe the ladies in Oxford aren't as attracted to him. I don't know. It's a theory my wife has. I don't agree with it. La- last <laughs> thoughts on the big game of this weekend: Georgia at Alabama. We now know Nick Saban will not be on the sidelines, and now, according to the rule book, he can't even be on a Zoom call. He's got to completely cut off communication with his team ninety minutes prior to kickoff. Is this the one where Kirby finally breaks through? I will say this. There's so much talk about, um, you know, assistance against Nick Saban. He's 21 and 0 now against his old assistants. Well, guess what? The one assistant who has at least made it to fourth quarter games and lost by less than single digits, that would be Kirby Smart. Uh, so there, there is something to say about that. I think that this is an Alabama defense that uh, is really struggling, that is not in a good place, that is has communication issues, that is, 
you know, the secondary at least misaligned and, and you saw really Lane Kiffin exploit that a little bit. So I, I am concerned about an Alabama defense without Nick Saban on the sideline from an adjustment standpoint against this Georgia team just because it's kind of been a, a I don't want to say disaster. That's a little overdramatic. But <laughs> should we say disaster for what we have grown accustomed to from Alabama? Absolutely. We'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it that way. So um, so that's going to be interesting. I watched the uh, the – the line yesterday when the news came out about Nick Saban, Alabama was favored by six and it went down to Alabama by four. Um, now I haven't, I haven't checked recently to see what now where it sits, but um, it's interesting. I mean, he's, he's worth two right there. That's, that's saying a lot, but yeah, so this might be, might be the year that Georgia is able to get Alabama, but there's that built in excuse. If Nick Saban has nothing to do with game day, which, for the record, I find extremely hard to believe that that will happen. <laughs> I get that it's a rule. I get it. I get that it's the NCAA rule. Um, I would think with everything we're going on that's going on in our society right now that maybe there might be some kind of an exception to this NCAA rule. Who knows? Wh- whatever. I just find it hard to believe that Nick Saban won't have something to do. I mean, come on. The guy – in his first practice where he was sent back home to quarantine, you know, he's immediately on the zoom. They have it all set up so he can run practice through zoom. Right. I mean, <laughs> put him in a bubble, yeah, you know, like put him in a giant bubble somehow. <laughs> I, I can just see them rolling like a big hamster wheel out and it's Nick Saban in a giant bubble <laughs> with a headset on and he's calling plays. Make that happen. Hey, Why not? Does that work? I mean, we have, we have seen crazier things. We watched Hugh Freeze, Coach Liberty, from a hospital Very true. up at the top of the stadium last or two years ago. So, you know, there have been some crazy things that have happened. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, this is the other conversation, too, is, you know, what happens from a timing standpoint. I, I Obviously, he's not going to be there in person for this game, but what happens – uh, from a timing standpoint and diagnosis and negative test and right. symptoms and all of that because they have Tennessee after this. Yeah. No, and so, the, the, other, uh, the other thing is, Don, he's 21-0 against former assistants. If they lose this, is he 21-1 or is it technically still 21-0 because he didn't coach? Shoot, technically it's 21-0 because he wasn't there. He's not the <laughs> coach, right? That's what I'm saying. Yep. There's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of get out of, of you know, Get out of jail free. I mean, when you when you look ahead, let's let's look ahead. Let's say Georgia wins this game, right? And let's look ahead when you're talking about college football playoff and you're on that committee looking at where you're putting teams and who you're putting in. Are you not overlooking that game a hundred percent? Absolutely you are. Your head coach is diagnosed with COVID, you know, on Wednesday of game week. Absolutely that's a free pass. Don, I can't thank you enough. This has been a lot of fun. I know we went super over our time with you. I know you're so busy. You're doing three-hour lunch on uh, 104.5 The Zone with Brent Doherty in Nashville. You're running from city to city doing the sideline reporting for ESPN and SEC Network. Thank you so much for taking some time out with us. Life is fun right now. Man, I love football. Thanks so much for letting me talk to you about it, and uh, we'll do this again soon. She is Dawn Davenport. Give her a follow on Twitter at Dawn Davenport TN. And, of course, you'll see her every week on the sidelines calling games. A lot of SEC games as of late she's been on the sideline for, so we cannot thank her enough 
for her time. All right, that is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. Remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. We will have more upsets this weekend, and we will talk about them all on Monday. Stay safe out there, everybody. Remember to keep doing what you need to do to keep you and your family well. We'll talk to you on Monday.